It would be a really safe bet that none of us in this room have had our vision restored with the help of the healing practice of spit and mud mixed in the street. Unless I'm wrong, show of hands. No? No? That mud liberally applied to the eyeballs? It's a relief, actually, that even the biblical literalists that I know, unless you know some that I don't know, but uh, as far as I know, uh, they're not trying this at home. It is a strange story, isn't it? But even with all of that strangeness, the weirdness of the spit and the mud in your eye, I do know that this story is for you. This story is for you because of that time when you found the courage to share your vulnerable self with that small group. But then what you said didn't fit with the moment or the theme or the program or whatever. And so the leader just dismissed your experience and ran right over you. This story is for you maybe because you were a young woman and You found out that your body was shamed and named as a so-called temptation. A problem for the community, but mostly a problem for you. And you got to serve as a scapegoat, providing cover for the leering glances of men who lacked self-awareness and self-control and the courage of conscience. This story is for you if you've been pressured to have a spiritual experience. But it was one that you weren't feeling or connecting with. And when you told them this, it was suggested that there must be something wrong with you. Because, of course, it was supposed to go down like that. They knew how it was supposed to happen. This story is for you if a pastor or a preacher or a leader in your church or a trusted mentor in a suit or a (coughs) robe or a camp t-shirt used guilt and shame and a few selected verses of scripture or maybe an implied spiritual pecking order to manipulate or control you. Of course, I could go on all day, but these are just a few examples that come to mind. If you spend enough time in religious circles, you may well have experienced treatment like this. You probably still have the receipts. Okay, one more. If you have ever taken on the role of a spiritual leader, a church person, a preacher, or a teacher, or a guide, or a guru, or a mentor, or any other position of religious leadership, this story is for you. On busy festival streets, Jesus and his disciples happened upon a man. A man who had been blind since birth. What an opportunity the disciples would make of this situation. And so they asked Jesus, show us what you can do. Funny thing though, they didn't ask for a display of healing. They asked for a demonstration of spiritual appraisal. A chance for Jesus to peel back the layers and explain the theology of the moment. The intensely private inner workings of this man's life, his very soul laid bare. What a violation, they ask. 
But what a treat, a, a glimpse behind the scenes and to see the divine workings, a chance for some holy insight so that everyone could make the appropriate comments and judgments. Did this man deserve to be born without sight and live out his days a beggar on the street? Was it because of some horrible sin? Maybe it was a a terrible crime that he had committed while he was still forming in his mother's womb. Transgression in utero. Or was it some other terrible thing that his mother or his father did? In other words, how did a guy like this get such bad karma? And we thoughtful and religious folks take these awful things that people do quite seriously. So far be it for us to stand in the way of God's appropriate administration of consequences and holy wrath. Jesus, do a little street theology for us. Undress this man, show us his whole life, dump out his laundry basket in the street, and show us all the stains and the secrets. What could have been a simple story about a man who was healed by Jesus became a story about so many other people. People who insisted on inserting themselves into this man's life with so much cruelty and unkindness. All in the name of good theology. It's not just the disciples. Tossing the man's neighbors, the local religious authorities, even his parents they all end up involved in this man's healing story. The really crazy part, when the man did have his sight restored miraculously, and he saw the world for the very first time, none of these people were jumping and dancing in the streets with him. They didn't take him to see his first cedar tree or sunset. They didn't take him to reintroduce him to that flower girl whose voice he'd known his whole life. Like that final amazing moving scene in Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. Maybe I should clarify. I count myself as one who would like to think that I take theology really seriously. Ancient and recent history has shown us that if we don't do the work to try and understand with our very best efforts what God might be doing in our midst, we open ourselves up to some really strange, goofy, and terrible, and in the end, dangerous and damaging practices. Bad theology can turn into a monster. So thank God for the theologians. In the service of the church, theologians are deep-sea researchers, piloting little boats, and sending ropes and hooks and buckets down into the depths. And what they pull up surprises and astonishes us. And their findings, as best as we can tell, give an indication of a deep and boundless reserve, a great cache of divine grace and mercy beyond our comprehension. This man's encounter with Jesus would be an occasion of such grace. As Jesus told his disciples, this whole encounter was a way to demonstrate God's 
Work revealed in this man. After the strangeness of the healing, with the spittle and the mud, and the famous pool of Siloam, the man went home to his parents, and he laid eyes on them for the very first time. It was a homecoming to the home that he had never seen. His local friends and neighbors, they didn't trust any of it. They meet him with an interrogation. Surely this is a trick of some kind. Does this guy have a twin? Is he faking blindness all these years? Please. Even as he retold the story, they scoffed at him. We better call the religious experts. Surely they will have a way for us to make sense of this. So the religious folks put on their CSI sunglasses and they brought out their checklists and their necessary forms for certification and declaration of official miracles in light of existing understanding of correct and goodly behavior. They interviewed the man's nervous parents. He's been faking blind this whole time, right? Ask him yourself, they say. But it's not what the experts are looking for. And so, with some consideration, the experts give the healing a grade of um, F minus, clearly in violation of cleanliness and holy day observance codes, rules about spittle and eyes and dirt and the application of ointments. We've got them right there. The man was blind, inflicted, clearly the result of sin, whether his sin or his parents, who can say, we don't really care. And this mysterious man, if there is indeed such a man, who did this so-called healing, this too would have been outside the bounds of best practices. As such, again, this healing is a fail. It doesn't meet the basic requirements of a certified miraculous intervention. Case closed. Listen, buddy, just come clean and be done with this sham of a fake miracle. I don't know what you're trying to prove. The cool part is, though, this guy's sharp. He holds his own in this whole conversation, even delivering, finally, this gem. One thing I do know, that I was blind. Now I see. When the religious experts ran out of snappy comebacks, they resorted to insults, bullying, and one final vicious burn You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. In Matthew's Gospel, we are told that those who seek will find. But here in John's Gospel, it is Jesus who seeks and finds the outcast man. And when Jesus found him the man with fresh eyes would finally see his healer responding, of course, with simple faith and devotion. The last few verses of this long story turns out to be a very public conversation between the man and Jesus and some eavesdropping religious leaders and townspeople. And John's gospel just loves some tasty irony. And here's a healthy dose of it. The blind man sees, and the religious experts are blind. The one who has known such grace is cast out, and those who think they know better miss the whole point of it all.
This is a miracle story. And this is a tragedy story. The story of the church in the world is a miracle story. It's a miracle story peppered with so many tragedy stories. Because the church is made of regular folks who meet and worship, and with no small measure of audacity, we share our lives. We bear our souls to one another, naming the ways that we've been found by Jesus. What a sight, what a miracle, what a risk we take. Friends, your spiritual journey, your life of faith is sometimes complicated. I get it. Sometimes it's private and it's personal and it's difficult and it's beautiful. But what adventure we take on when we join one another in worship and our life together. And we invite these people to share the stories of the ways that this world has hurt us. What a gift it is, too, to name the ways that we've encountered the grace of a loving God. The God who's opened our eyes and healed us, even. The God who seeks us out and finds us. What a task, this church thing. What a task we have been given in the care and keeping of each other's dear souls. And so... May our best efforts in theology be deeply personal, communal, shaped by this living people. May our practice of street theology be vital and active and listening and celebrating and, believe me, dancing in the streets when it's called for. May we be exuberant neighbors looking on in wonder with eyes wide open to see the living miracles which share themselves with us. Hints and evidence of grace beyond our comprehension. This is a miracle story. Amen. Thanks be to God.